Today is April 22nd, Season 3, Episode 10, Decky Funk. How are we? Ooh, Andy Sunshine, we're feeling great, baby. Sun is out, we're in the double digits of Season 3, and what better guest to bring on today than Alex Rollins, lead singer of Denny. And let me be the first to wish you happy Earth Day. Ooh, thank you, Andrew. Very nice. Absolutely. Uh, Alex is an awesome guy. He was my coworker at Media Bridge, and you guys are going to get to know him as the lead singer of, Dan- of Danny, as, Dan- as Deck just mentioned. So embrace the roller coaster of the music industry and enjoy the ride. Soda Boy was on the podcast recently talking about how social media really only gives you 5 to 10% of someone's story. We bring that up because everyone has a story, and a company bringing that story to life is Skyline Specs. Skyline Specs goes back to your roots. We're talking about where you're from, your origin story. Skyline Specs has wooden engraved skylines from seven different cities like Minneapolis, St. Paul, Denver, Chicago, and many more. Go follow them on Instagram to see their featured products at Skyline underscore Specs. That's Skyline underscore Specs. Today on the Back Pocket Podcast, let's welcome Alex Rollins. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Amazing. It's a little snowy outside. Mm. Not a big deal. This episode comes out like three weeks later, so people are like, oh, I remember when it was snowing. (laughs) Yeah, that was... uh, Whatever, dude. Whatever. We're here. We're Mm -hmm. We're here. But we we get to talk to Alex Rollins today, the lead singer of Denny and hash out that story. So let's break it down a little bit because we got to talk off air and we've met. You were my coworker at Media Bridge. I was. Um, and we've gotten to know each other, but our marketing interns, our listeners don't know you. So if you could give our marketing interns a brief background. A brief background of? Of the story of Denny. The story of Denny. Yes. Uh, so Denny was formed in 2015 with me, Alex, and two of my best friends, Randon Nelson and Sully. His real name is Alex, but it gets confusing, so we just call him Sully. Uh, and kind of, we'd been in bands for a long time, all three of us separately and then together. And it came together because we were like, let's make our favorite band. Let's, I've always been looking for that band and growing up, like it didn't exist. I loved, everybody asked me that question. And that's kind of been our goal from day one is to make our favorite music. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. And that was at, uh, St. Thomas, right? Yeah. We're, well, two of us are St. Thomas grads. Um, okay. ran another guy. He went to McNally Smith but all kind of in the same circle in music so that's amazing dude when did you find like the passion or the when did you know you were getting into music like have you has that just been Mm. something in your life the whole all the time yeah i was a like a state champion piano player and when i was five so whoa like as a as a yo did you learn to walk first before (laughs) you started playing i learned that actually like two years ago how to to walk and how to (laughs) read but uh i learned how to read theory and like study musical theory before I like re- mastered how to read like the English language. So, You're kidding. Um, I mean, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but when no, I was, we'll quote that. when I was four or five years old, like I was playing on a Steinway at uh, Northrop Auditorium, like hammering out the ivories and studying like theory competitions, which if you think like some things in college are dry, try being in a theory class when you're five years old. Yeah. Ooh. It's awful. You would have went viral back then. I think. It was long before virality, but yeah, I that's, uh, I, yeah. that's tough. Yeah, man, <laughs> I'm looking back. I'm like, come on! I wish I would have had an agent, somebody to like mentor me into like putting this on YouTube, but it wasn't there. Yeah, just a social presence type yeah. thing. Yeah, w- were your parents into music? What, what was yeah, that? Why kinda. were you in five five years old? That's so early. Uh, structure probably, discipline, teach me something. Okay, you know, uh, my parents are musical air quotes uh i have my dad's voice though which is really cool awesome uh whenever he sings i'm like are you kidding me like where, where's this ben you're like a 65 year old michael jackson like it's beautiful really um but none of them were really played anything other than piano or you know a okay. little guitar here and there hmm. but w- would you say that you were like going to your parents to i don't remember okay I, uh, maybe just, i'm curious on it, that well what you... happened too is i was in piano and i was had classical training shoved down my throat by my teachers and young rock and roller was like no i want to play jazz i want to play ragtime i want to play the blues 
And te- the piano teachers I had were like, no, you must learn classical. You must learn Rachmaninoff and all this other stuff. And Bach. And I was like, no, I want to play something fun. And so we split, you know, mutual differences there. We were, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Quit and didn't touch really an instrument for t- probably 10 years. And then I heard the White Stripes when I was like 13. Oh, and I was well, like, Seven Nations Army. I want to, I want to know yeah. how to do that. <laughs> and luckily my my parents were like, okay, well, if you, we'll, we'll buy you an electric guitar, give you something to learn. And I spent an entire summer in my bedroom, literally the entire summer, um, sitting in my hot bedroom, learning how to play guitar. And I learned, I learned on the blues, which is not a fun place to start, but it kind so of you informed start everything. With keys and then you got to, I mean, the blues is so just much a different, knowledge goes into the blues. I, I didn't learn any scales. I just started learning how to play oh, you did riffs it. and like line and starting to, I was writing music as I was learning how to play music. So, and that was before Marty Schwartz, Marty songs, the guitar jams. guy. <laughs> yeah. Long before that. Yeah. yeah. See, I don't there think a lot no of people, un- I don't think <laughs> yeah. a lot of people understand that. Cause like I, I picked up guitar my senior year of high mm. school and became obsessed with it and taught myself how to play yeah. and everyone's like oh my gosh you taught yourself how to play like that's amazing it's like no it's really not like you you have like a few songs that you're yeah. interested in playing you google it and you look it up on youtube and mm-hmm. you just as long as you're committed i mean yeah. that's the hardest part you about guitar. Ten thousand hours at it and you'll, you'll get there. right yeah. exactly um dude that's that's amazing yeah. so who were uh, i mean all you mentioned the white stripes <laughs> but who were some of the those 80s rock bands that you oh, were man fired up about that guy you've gone see i didn't discover the 80s until like college mm. oh. uh when i was learning how to play and kind of like the formative my brother and my dad are like the two biggest sort of musical taste influences in my life and mm-hmm. where my dad was feeding me like fleetwood mac and the beatles and and like cream and eric clapton and all that kind of stuff my brother was feeding me the white stripes and lcd sound system and wilco and all these like early 2000s sort of yeah. alternative acts that and then those two kind of came together, and that literally was my life for 10 years was being obsessed with that sort of indie rock world. And then in college, I heard In Excess for the first time, and and kind of I got into Michael Jackson and just the freedom and, like, the fun that, you know, just the, the ability to make pop music enjoy Because I, I was one of those kids who was like, pop music is stupid. Like, yeah. no, oh, yeah. I don't want to play pop music. And then I discovered 80s pop music, and I was like, no, there's heart in this and yep. there's authentic like feeling and you can really like i can feel more out of a out of a michael jackson bass line than i can out of like some of the heady records that i listened to when i was you know 15 like the challenging alternative stuff it, and then the switch flicked to me and i didn't care about that anymore all i wanted to do was make pop music and were you so you were writing you'd say alternative music oh yeah okay yeah yeah hey, nice oh, yeah. like and- we were, I was in, obsessed with like different time signatures and, you know, being challenging to the listener. And now I'm like, I don't want to challenge anybody. I just want to have fun. Yep. Yeah. And was this for your personal uh, solo or were you, had you started a type of a, a group by then? I had bands. Okay. Oh yeah. How many bands would you say you had in like variations? At one point I had like four projects going on at once and oh, all of them man. were equally unexciting. Mm. <laughs> um, different levels of kind of you know self-indulgence and me with a with a usb mic and garage band in my house at 16 17 um but i've probably been in actually not that many maybe five or seven bands in my life okay what was your favorite band that never panned out oh man there was um (laughs) the name was meth kills (laughs) (laughs) and it was like it was my brother. Oh, it does? <laughs> yeah. So for, we had a logo. <laughs> we had a logo. We had um, we had a song. I don't remember the name of the song, but we had one song, and it was my brother who hadn't really learned how to play guitar but could kind of sing. He's actually got a great voice, but he could sing and play some piano. Me, who would, like, played all the instruments, and then his, like, girlfriend in high school who, like, played trombone or something, and she was going to play drums and... <laughs> You know, it. We talked more about the band than we ever actually did anything with it. We designed T-shirts and we never even finished a song. Math kills. Math kills. Did you sell T-shirts at in no, high school? We never even made them. Oh man, <laughs> I don't. That would be legendary if you had a meth kill shirt around here. I have the logo somewhere. It's bad, but it's also you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's nostalgia, incredible. Was he your? Was it your older brother? Yeah. Okay. 
Yep. And he must have been kind of just kind of, he was the guiding light to open you up like, oh, you can do this because he was the older brother yeah. just kind of being like, all right. He, he We always talked about being in a band together when we were kids and mm-hmm. like nice. when we were in high school because he's only five years older than me. So we had this like, we wanted to have like a cool dynamic indie rock band, but it never panned out. And I just kept going for it. Dude, I feel like, man, I feel like the D.A.R.E. program really would have picked up that band. <laughs> we could have had a sweet licensing deal with D.A.R.E. Yeah. yeah. They wouldn't be where they were today if it had maybe you guys came <laughs> I wouldn't along. be where I am today if, it were, if D.A.R.E. had stepped in, you know? It's <laughs> a great potential licensing deal there. I'll okay, bring it back. Nuts. So, okay, so back to Denny. Where yeah. did that whole, like, name come from? Where's where's the origin there? The So, I was, our drummer and I were in a band together for a long time, and then uh, one day we got a cease and desist from a very powerful entertainment lawyer because somebody in Sweden who Asker was my first band and his last name was Asker and they took it from us and oh, not shit. took it, but like he owned the copyright and um, we just gently backed away. And that was kind of like the first huge blow for us. Like, oh, I don't want to make music anymore. Was and then, this when you were in college? Yeah, this is at St. Thomas. the f- band we talked about earlier was yeah. was was in that world and. Um, and then we had another band name and then someone else cease and desisted us. You're kidding. Yeah. Two for two on the cease and desists for band names right Dang. here. Uh, and then th- when the second one happened, I was actually at, uh, our agency agency's first offices. I was working and I got the cease and desist and I was like, Oh, not again. Come on. Like this is 2015. And I was like, you know, who would think this is funny is my dad. My dad would think this is, he'd be like, yeah, I told you so dummy like he should have he should have looked that up first and my dad's name is dennis but his nickname his whole life has been denny and so it started there just my dad thinks it's funny let's call the band denny let's and he's you know personal hero and sort of a musical influence of mine and um then it kind of morphed into i found some old photos of him and he was like this like he had hair longer than mine beautiful blonde hair leather jacket he had this vibe in the 70s and I took that little thing and I was like, let's take this persona that I see in this photo and create an entire identity and idea of the band around it. Mm-hmm. And so... Were you going to say swanky? I, I wasn't, okay. but I am now. Okay. Yeah. I heard, like, I heard an ass- Debonair is the word that always Debonair. comes to mind for okay. me. Debonair. Uh, Can yeah. we unpack? What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Denny. Yo. You know, that's, that's the whole idea is mm-hmm. like, I saw this photo and I was like, I can't describe this look, but that's the inspiration that's yeah. like the 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 genesis for this whole thing yeah. is this photo of my dad looking incredible in like 1981 mm. dude perfect hair every perfectly lit it's kind of floral like don't really know what's going on but he's smiling but he's not you know this whole Ooh, vibe. little mona lisa yeah yeah and do you I, have the picture anywhere uh yeah i think i'm I, it might be on my phone actually okay i'll find it just send it to us we'll yeah. put it in the youtube oh, yeah. so people can see it um and that was that was it. That was like how we kind of started the idea. And I'd never really had a project that was based off of a an idea, yeah. a, sort of a persona. And and it's informed kind of everything we do in the studio. We always come back to like, is this Denny? You know, is this kind of sexy but also kind of dark? Like that's kind of been our our mo. And mm-hmm. it's all based off of eighties. My dad in the eighties. That's so cool. Me romanticizing my dad in the 80s. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you say, or is the band members the same as the second um, cease and desist when that happened to your name? Did it, did it stay the same band or did you have to, those people who were like, ah, I'm out now and I have to read. You know, Our drummer, that. Sully and I have mm-hmm. been together for a long time. Like he's been, we've been in bands since 2009 together, 2010. Um, and so we, we had a different lineup around that time because we were still trying to figure it out and then shortly after that it was like okay let's we had some internal issues that we need to figure out to kind of make it the best it could be and then we just did that in like 2016 early 2016 like had to make some personnel changes but it's pretty much been the three of us for the whole the whole time gotcha that's amazing what do you think it is about the 80s that is just so distinct and like so amazing because i dude i i grew up on that same kind of thing where my music knowledge is all because of my dad yeah and we'd go on ski trips and he would play us rush and he would play us like nirvana yeah. he played like my when i was whenever american idiot came out i think my birthday gift was the american idiot mm-hmm. green day album 
Like I was just thinking back about that. It's just so awesome. But like my dad had a huge music influence in my life, but a lot of it was eighties music. And I'm always trying to figure out like why that is. There's a certain like passion in eighties pop music that Mm -hmm. like the sort of, um, what am I like looking no one's very self-aware self-awareness is what i'm looking for there's like a lack of it in the 80s like no one's in the, in the 90s and 2000s with indie music it kind of became a lot of just like sad white guys whining i think and then the grunge music it's like <laughs> and it, it was self-aware and i think the 80s was just like you know be bigger than life like queen and and in excess and and you know like uh michael jackson's it was bombastic isn't the right word but there, there wasn't that, you know, pretentious indie rock inward reflection on, like, what you're doing. If And that's what way it feels. It's just, let's make some stuff that people want to sing along to mm-hmm. and stuff let's that people... Yeah. yeah. I love that. And, you know, you look at the 80s outside of music, a horrible, like, situation in the world with the Cold War and everything that's going on in the 80s and AIDS and all this stuff. A lot of bad stuff happening and... The music of that time, I think, the pop music anyway, it reflects like an escapism that can only happen in like a, a political, like social situation like that. And how are you trying to bring that out in, in Denny? Because, <laughs> right, you're, you're trying to reform kind of Denny, Dennis, your dad yeah. in the 80s and, and make it modern into your own band. And yeah. I, I, like, how, like you had that hideaway that we talked about earlier with this past, was it... Uh, in LA. in LA. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And John Lennon's place. John Lennon. Yeah. I mean, that must have been its whole experience in itself. Yeah. But that's sidebar. Yeah. Um, how do you think you're uh, able to bring that out? Synthesizers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, great answer. I think uh, I think we're less concerned about bringing the '80s out in our music as we are kind of owning that that mentality of like not mm. not being too self aware and just kind of not only having fun because we are, you know, we have our own level of pretension about what we do. And our own, you know, we put on our artist's hats when we think about it. And we want to do something different, but really, you know, a mixture of my favorite music is, is 80s pop music and, and, you know, R&B and, and indie rock from the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And um, again, it always comes back to, are we creating our favorite band? And the the mixture of those things, the mixture of 80s bombastic pop music and, and 2000s indie rock with... And like you hear like the white stripes and a little bit of what I do because there's just some flair that never existed for me. And so we always come back to wanting to create that marriage and be that mm-hmm. band. And I think we're starting to finally get there where I'm like, I, I think we're my favorite band. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we'll talk about that in a sec. But I want to talk about your transformation and how you started in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do our research here in the back pocket. We don't say that enough, but we do a <laughs> lot of research. And uh, Bloom, your song. Bloom, yeah. That got you big. Yes. And you opened for Mike Snow. Yes. Let's talk about that. Where do you want to start? From the beginning. Bloom is, in terms of like special songs, uh, it, so the first band we were in, uh, we had the Cease and Desist. We, had, we were on a tour. We played South by Southwest. Cease and Desist was last, but we were on this tour and everything kind of we're like we dropped out of college to go on the road and then it all dissolved like the the floor was literally ripped out from underneath us and um we ended up in nashville uh where we had started the tour with no money sleeping in a studio and had nothing to our names and it was like well what do we do next we had dropped out of college we had you know and from st thomas we had scholarships to school you know there was student you lost the tommy award we lost the tommy award no and (laughs) and imagine all those things kind of happening at once we go home like my girlfriend broke up with me for like four days side note there but still everything kind of like my parents were getting divorced our drummer's parents were getting divorced everything kind of hit and we were 20 21 years old so it was like hopelessness was really the how we felt like we didn't want to play music together again and I was really into Sigur Rós in that like season of life and they have a song I don't know how to pronounce it but it's just like this heavy like droning fuzzy guitar sound and 
was in my basement with a loop pedal and an octave pedal and a fuzz pedal sitting inches from my amplifier, probably damaged my ears. And I just started playing F sharp as hard as I could over and over and over again. I made this droning sound and then put my phone out, recorded it, recorded the demo, wrote all the lyrics that night. And because that song really is about being 21 and feeling like your life is over. And I was pissed. I was pissed at a lot of people in the industry that I felt like had screwed us over. Um, And that's probably the only angry song I've ever written, but it was pure like catharsis. And the the song that's on Spotify that went, you know, playlists and got us these opening slots Mm -hmm. really didn't change from the demo that I recorded on my phone in my dad's basement at all. Like we made it sound better, but like structure wise, arrangement wise, lyric wise, nothing changed because it was just a raw moment of me being so kind of pissed off, but also I was, it was a release for me and, and we didn't think we were going to play music together again. And then I showed the guys a song in 2000, that song was actually written in 2013 and showed it to them. And that night we record, we like got into a studio and we recorded it and it kind of just magically happened and nothing changed on it. And we did like one mix revision and that's what kept us playing music together was that song. So that's why it's special to me is because it, it literally saved us from breaking up and not making music anymore. Wow. So it's, it's way more than yeah. just the, the song that actually ignited your, your music career, but yeah. it actually kept your music career. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It kept me writing music because I had a lot of self-doubt at that time. I was like, no one cares about what I'm doing. Yeah. No one understands what I'm doing. And that song was kind of the, I don't know, the the flag in the sand of like, yeah. here's all the old stuff we were doing. We released this fuzzy rock anthem, and then everything since then has been totally different. And it was a moment in time that, I mean, I don't love playing that song anymore because it, it, it was my life in 2013. I'm right. way past that. But it perfectly sums up how it feels to put your whole life into something and then have it all be stripped away yeah and then learn from that and like we're in much better places now because of that but that song got us through that and that song then i don't know if if irony is the right word but it happened to be the song that put us on the map yeah was a song about not ever being on the map Mm. oh man that's awesome so i know you touched on i mean are there other bands out there that have that same situation happen i assume there would be in like sure, yeah. in this in like how does it work in this industry with touring mm-hmm. when you're this scrappy band who's got some fire they drop out of college they're going on tour they got they're getting big on spotify you know yeah. what have you like oh man kind of talk about the industry and like how what people don't necessarily see i guess i think in 2012 when we first started talking about going on tour we were working with people that thought going on tour was how you break a band and i didn't agree back then but i was also too caught up in the moment to say anything yeah and now like going on tour is like i would love to do it again one day like mm-hmm. there it was the worst several months of my life when i was 20 years old but also like so awesome and you know nowadays you you, you don't break on the road you break online um, and you don't break quickly, you break slowly. If you want to have a career, you, you, you build, you know, you, yeah. you win a fan over one fan at a time. Um, but I think for us, like we don't want to go play outside of our market until there's a guarantee that people are going to be in that room. Cause I don't want to lose money anymore. And, and I don't want to like spend years of my life in a van with sweaty dudes playing to nobody just to get the word out. Cause that's not, that's not how like that's not how I envision this my project personally, because yeah. um, I I see the live show as a as an extension of the music and and a totally in one sense but also a totally different experience for the fan, and it's going to be louder. It's going to be rock and roll. It's going to be you know loud guitars and real drums and um, all the flair yeah. that we want to have live. It's it's got to be a special thing, but but nowadays you know. Anybody can put music online, which is cool, but it's also like there's so much music. And at the same time, you you got to develop, you know, your social media. It's a totally different world than when I was yeah. starting. And 
where there are bands out there now that have arguably not very good music that are touring and and playing tons of shows and have thousands of fans online but their whole career is built off of like social media not off the music and i personally like my whole philosophy is like it's a it comes down like the only thing that matters strip all that away it really the only thing that matters is the song and that's why it takes us so long to do things is because one we don't want to rush anything we want it to be right but two if you if you're not focusing on writing good songs and doing what doing it for yourself like yeah. writing songs for you yes. what's the point like mm-hmm. i i admire bands that can go out and tour and like tour relentlessly without you know label support or you know huge numbers on spotify because the thing is that spotify numbers are sweet but they don't translate necessarily to 500 kids in a room in toledo ohio they Mm. you know it takes a lot more than just streaming numbers to get people to buy into the whole idea and to want to like invest in you yeah Um, do you think that's because of how convenient it is yeah yeah like i can just pull up denny yeah like this is what i did last week when Andrew told me you were coming on yeah I'm just like, oh, Denny's Denny's coming on the show. I'm gonna just go through their entire discography while yeah. I'm w- working on my computer. Right. Whereas before it was like, okay, their album's coming out mm-hmm. this week. Now I gotta go to the the store, buy it this time, so I can get a copy. Or my friend handed me his copy. Yeah. And now I get to listen to it at the vest that time. You know, like <laughs> yeah, and right, that's awesome. Right, right. But you don't have to do that anymore. No, I think I hear a lot of conflicting ideas all the time about like where the music industry is at and you know it used to be you go on tour to promote your record mm-hmm. and then there's been a lot of people saying for the last couple of years like you now you put out a record to promote your tour and i don't think either of those are true anymore i think we are in total gray area and you know really it just comes down to i don't know whether or not people buy into you and, and believe it yeah and i think believable music comes from focusing on writing great songs and that's the only place it can come from i don't think it comes from social media aesthetic or you know the things i see online are just like bands focusing on their look and not writing great music and they have a buzz for a moment but then they where's that going to lead like if you're not focusing on writing songs and writing great songs like what are you what are you doing mm-hmm I'm fed up with networking events. And by no means is that a controversial thing to say at all. But, you know, I'm I'm going out on a limb here and I'm trying to say that all I want to do is enjoy some beer and have some conversations. Is that too much to ask? Well, Zach, you could have said that a little bit better. But what he's trying to say is some of the best conversations and more importantly, collaborations, that's what Lincoln Drink is all about have those conversations with local hustlers, entrepreneurs, creatives, and people right here in the Twin Cities sandbox. Yes, and this will be the fourth of its kind. It's still in its nascency. Nascency. But boy, is it growing. We're stoked to have you. Remember this time and place. We'll give you some time. Grab some pen and paper. Write this down in your notes right now. Remember this. May 8th at Finnegan's Bruco. That's May 8th at Finnegan's Bruco. And you're, what's kind of cool is you were able to gather this perspective relatively quickly yeah. and have it taken away from you, yeah. uh, which is like, yeah. Yeah. which has evolved probably your thought process in this whole industry yeah. tenfold. And that's awesome in itself. But I mean, horrible at the time, but yeah. pretty sweet how it, how it laid out. Um, so in 2013, Bloom hit, or you created Bloom. We wrote it. Wrote it. Yeah. 2015. We started Denny. Started Denny. Yep. And um, was Denny opening... Um, with Bloom, is that what drove no, Denny? That was it was different no. at that so time. We, okay, we have the weirdest story from so 2015. We put out some demos on SoundCloud, and I have good friends in the band Coin, and they retweeted us, and it kind of like got us an initial like jumpstart of a few hundred people listening to us. And then we had a manager who worked at Columbia Records, and she wasn't really a manager because we just kind of stopped talking one day. And so we went through this cycle of really huge people, really important music industry people wanting to work with us, and then radio silence. And then there they are again, another person who works at Interscope or another person that you know works at Glassnote, and then nothing. Um, and that was kind of the story for like six months around releasing two 
demos we'd basement produced. And then in my inbox one day came this really awesome guy named Danny and he started to work with us and just kind of be a fly on the wall and we'd send him demos and, and he's like, the indie pop thing is cool. And then I sent him bloom and he was like, Holy crap, what is this? It's like, Oh, it's just a song we had laying around. And he's like, you'd have to release this. And so it went from dancey sort of synth pop singles. And then all of a sudden we put out bloom as a total left field move, which we had tens of thousands of streams and, you know, were bubbling up and we were on hype machine and we had blogs. We were a little buzzy when we had our first two songs out. And then we put out bloom and people were like, wait, what is it? What? This is a fuzzy rock anthem, hard rock. People would call it. Yeah after a band was putting out kind of fun dance pop tunes and then we put out bloom and for, people loved it. They loved the all of a sudden complete switch in sound that didn't sound like anything we had done before. And I think that's what got us the res- like a lot of respect from our fans was like, Oh, these guys can do more than just, you know, 150 BPM bangers. They can do something cathartic and heavy. Dude, that's sick. That gets me fired up. So then what was like the what was the transition then from that initial spark to per, uh opening for Mike Snow of all people? Mm. Uh so Go ninety six heard Bloom, loved it, and started to play us a lot and to get a lot of requests for it. That's the that radio time. show, right? Yeah, yeah, radio okay. station. Um was, locally. Was Giselle there? I don't think she was there yet. Okay. Um, Barb Abney was there. She's like a local legendary DJ. Really? And she just obsessed with the song and kept playing it and would have us in the studio. And and we, Mike Snow show, it was the first or second go show, like summer mini festival they had ever done. Um, So it was like Mike Snow, Robert DeLong, Junior Junior. And then she just Twitter DM me one day and was like, hey, you want to open for Mike Snow? And I was like, Okay. Sweet. Oh yeah. 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 Sure. Like uh cool when. <laughs> How does this work? <laughs> like, wait, wait, we got we got to practice. Um <laughs> so we we had played two shows before that, like sold out at the entry and like played at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts and that was like our third show was opening for Mike Snow. Nice. Sold out at first half. Wow. Yeah. Early. Early. Intimidating. Also, because Mike Snow had the most ridiculous stage setup, like the photos of us on that stage, we have maybe like three f- square feet each to move because they're their lighting rig and their all their stuff was it, it was there was no room. No way. Is your th- is your Are we kid? good? Yeah, we good. Yeah, we're good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I saw you taking pictures over there. Yeah, yeah. we'll take a photo. <laughs> yeah. We'll need we'll need a couple of those. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. That's yeah. good producing. Thank you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> just blow on it. Yeah, <laughs> just perfect. Oh man, dude, that's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. Mike's. So what? What? When was that, by the way? J- July, twenty sixteen. Okay. So then, yeah. what's kind of the transition, or where did you go from there at that point? Well, when you put a song like Bloom out, that's very, you know, genre different than anything you've ever done. Yeah. People didn't know what to make of it, but they also thought it was awesome and it blew up online for us. And then what that does to a band like ours was way too much self-reflection and like, what are we doing? Like we didn't know what we were doing um, because nothing else sounded like that song. The next song that we had planned to release was back to the like 150 BPM, like super fast dance pop track. And I didn't want to go from, dance pop to heavy fuzz hard rock to dance pop it felt that felt like okay they did this once they can't recreate that magic Mm -hmm. so we took 16 18 months to figure out what we wanted to do and end of 2016 i started like just like writing every day to force myself to write and found wanted to start creating this identity this persona of denny and i didn't have any more inspiration for it i was like okay my i needed to find something and i went and dug through my old journals from when i was like 18 19 and the stuff in there was glorious just angsty 
right out of high school, confused, caught my parents were getting divorced. I, you know, all this stuff was happening and I, the stuff I wrote was just moody, emotional teenage angst, but it was phenomenal lyrical content to, to jump off from. Mm-hmm. And You're like, damn Alex. I was like, cool. Yeah, this is awesome. Like, let's, <laughs> let's see what we, we can unpack here. <laughs> and somewhere in there I was, I was reading through a journal one night and I, at, not etched, but like dug into the pages was this line. I think this night is playing tricks in our hearts, which is just the angstiest, like emotion, emotional emo line I probably could have ever written. And our song girls like you, which came out in 2017 kind of started there. And that was like the whole Genesis for the kind of recreating the identity of the project and honing in on creating the persona of Denny was, you know, like warm summer, late night, I wanted to create that warm summer, late night driving through Minnesota with the windows down feel. And, you know, the hill, hills of Los Angeles at night are like a huge inspiration for us aesthetically because it, when you're driving with the windows down through the hills of LA, like nothing else feels like that. And I wanted to create that sonically because it kind of feels like driving around lakes in Minnesota in the summer at dusk. Like that whole image is what I wanted to make. And it took us 16-ish months to kind of get there. And about halfway through that time, you know, we never went on a hiatus. We just wanted to our next release to be even better than the one before. We didn't mm-hmm. want to just put out music to put out music. And we started recording demos, and we recorded the song Girls Like You as a demo, and I sent it to our team in L.A., and they were like, you have to record this song, like, immediately. And so we went out to L.A., and we hooked up with Eric Palmquist, and recorded a couple songs and Eric Palmquist being the the bad sons guy. He's done bad sons. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Super. And we've become like family. It's really cool. Um, he's, I've met his family and, and he's met mine and, and he's deeply, deeply invested in the project and, um, part of our team, you know, really cool relationship to have with, with a producer, um, more of a coach and mentor than, than anything. And, uh, the first time working with him, we, we did some songs and, and then we came back and we had really great songs, but we had no idea how to release them or what to do with them. Cause I wanted it to be something more. And then we sat on them for like six months, just waited until, cause that song, we kind of missed our chance to release it in the summer cause we were doing some publicity stuff. And, and so we waited till the fall and put it out in what, October of 2017 and it same thing kind of happened as it did with bloom like put it online and people started to respond to it like that and it was a kind of an extension of bloom because it has a big cathartic moments and um yeah and then since then it's been like a song every couple of months focusing on putting out our favorite songs and focusing on writing the songs and the craft of songwriting and and not doing anything that we don't feel is 100% Denny and true to the whole persona and the whole idea, which is hard to explain the whole idea, but it's in our heads. And every time we put music out, it's exactly what we want to put out. That's phenomenal. And I, I read that in the, in the article, like uh, I was on At- Atwood. You, Atwood, yeah. 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 It, it was in the, they had a paragraph on you and that's what it said about you guys mm-hmm. was word for word. It yeah. was just, you guys put out music. That is you. Mm-hmm. And it speaks volumes. It's through passion, and you can and in, like the sound totally is just vibes with that yeah. mentality. Yeah. So, congrats to you! And it, like the way that you want your music to be, to be perceived is that's occurring. Um, I, from a, like a small brain music perspective, am curious on the like tactical approach from going like and the album. And I understand mm-hmm. how you're going about it from like you're putting out music that you care about and you really want to focus in on it, not just give you six songs and call it an right, album right um but why just singles versus like spending three years on one album and then putting that out budget okay <laughs> so uh, yeah. part of its budget because you know we didn't have fifteen thousand dollars when we started this project to go make a record um because i'm very obsessive with how the music sounds like mix wise you know sonically the palette uh and it has to be done a right way and we're perfectionists with that but also because attention spans nowadays is i love records but i don't listen to a lot of records i listen to playlists like most mm. people nowadays and mm-hmm. um i don't think that's you know diluted the art form of writing a song i think it's made better songwriters pop out because people are starting to understand like how important it is to write good songs yeah. in, in the craft 
Um, but I also, I don't know. I, I like to treat every song like it's a, it's, its own album. It has its own campaign. You know, each song has its own aesthetic. Each song has its own identity. And they all one day will fit. Once everything's released, it'll make sense to our, our fans. Like, oh, they all work together in a certain way. Um, but right now, that it probably doesn't because they're individual releases. But they're all, you know, I went back to those journals that I found when I was a couple years ago from when I was like 18. And right now, the music we're releasing is romanticized autobiography material. Um, so I'm writing about me at 18 or 19. And all these songs kind of fit in that mold um through the denny lens of the persona the whole thing it's, it's romanticized versions of, of stories from when i was 18 and 19 and so yes they're singles but they're all part of the same narrative ish and then we'll move on from that one day but i mean if we put out a full-length 12 song we could do it we have 20 30 some songs recorded but you know i don't want to drop them all at once and you know lose the ability to leak them out slowly yeah. and lose the value of you know, each song with every song we gain so many more fans mm, yeah and i don't know what the industry is going to look like i don't know what the world's going to look like so i want to just do it one by one and give each song the attention i think they deserve to be by themselves and mm-hmm. shine for a moment and have the spotlight on them dude i love that and i think i think what's really cool about it is you know you're you started starting with the core of like you're doing it for yourself you're doing it for Always, why yeah. you want to do it yeah. and you're looking inward to yeah. project outward these songs yeah i mean at the end of the day when you come when you do that eight times over nine times 12 times over that's denny yeah that's your album yeah like it's not it shouldn't be yeah. and we hard. have those songs that's the cool thing is like right. i know those songs exist because we have them mm-hmm. recorded right. and when i listen to all the unreleased stuff i'm like, every song i'm like uh, yeah we i get the most excited when I listen to like a master or a final mix. And I'm like, we did exactly what we wanted to do on this. And it sounds exactly as, as we intended it to sound. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to my favorite band, which some people would be like, oh, you, you can't say your favorite band. I'm like, yeah. Why would you make music if you're not trying to make your favorite music? Yeah. Well, this is our favorite podcast. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It has to be. I It's, it, it's true. Yeah. Like I listen to every single one of Yeah. Our I love listening to my own music. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say I love listening to my own voice. <laughs> we cannot clip that and put that anyway. <laughs> but Whoa, dude. That's unique. Hold up. I want to talk about being unique for a second. One of those problems I see nowadays is people are wearing the same shit. If you're tired of seeing the same trends everywhere you go, take, for instance, a college bar on a Saturday. There's basketball jerseys those shirts with two buttons and no collar and it's just a ton of blue everywhere you go it's so repetitive i like to just say no bueno but with visionary manufacturing you can stand a cut above the rest visionary manufacturing is a fully customizable clothing creator that helps you stand out doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur trying to build a brand or an aspiring hype beast trying to pepper in some zest to your wardrobe visionary manufacturing helps you show off your uniqueness so if you want to customize your own tees, sweatshirts, or virtually any product, email us at backpocket at visionarymfg.com. That's backpocket at visionarymfg.com. Or maybe just send us a raven. I do love listening to like the conversations yeah. we have. They're so unique a yeah. lot of the times, and they're so personal, too. Right, right. Like, I mean, I don't really know you that well. But but I feel like we already know each other. Dude, mm-hmm. yeah. we're vibing. We're vibing. But like, yeah. um, what I, oh, sorry. Yeah. Wait, I... I want to talk about the let what the letter story. Get after. I want to oh, hear. I yeah. want to hear how your environment influences how you produce oh, a song. I mean, it's environments that we're in, both in the studio and you know, being in Los Angeles, where we record a lot of our final songs. You know, yeah. a lot of the final tracking is done in, in Los Angeles. I mean, Los Angeles on its own has it just a. I don't want to use the word vibe too much, but it, it has a, a vibe and a and an ambiance that nowhere else does, especially for making music. Like the history and the sunshine and the warmth, just that alone to be able to walk out of a studio and have the sun on your face in January, whereas here it's like you can't do that. It brings life to our music that the environments in L.A. just brings life that Minnesota can't. Um but it's it's cool because a lot of our music is written i i always every song is kind of based around a memory 
and a scene, and then I romanticize it. But it's all very tactile to me. Like I can I can smell the the location I wrote the song Girls Like You about. I can I can like sort of see and feel the location and the place I was at when I started writing or the, the inspiration behind Woke Up in the Hills. I can feel those things. I can see them and I have very um visceral memories around them. And so in the writing it, it's super important because everything's kind of written about a place and a moment in a place but the place is first. And then when we're producing it, we, you know, this last time we were in Los Angeles finishing up our new batch of songs, which were where we recorded woke up in the Hills. Uh, we didn't have that song up until two weeks before we left. And then one night I was just in my basement screwing around in Ableton and I came up with this line and the whole song wrote itself in about 15 minutes took it to LA and then Los Angeles was just like breathed into it. And we were staying in John, this house in Laurel Canyon where John Lennon spent his lost weekend. Um, so he was like married to Yoko Ono or something. And then he met this other woman and then he moved to LA with her for like two years, a very long weekend, but that was the house they lived in. So one of the most famous um, sort of moments in John Lennon's life after the Beatles, like we lived in that house for a, a little bit of time recording the music and the other cool thing is that my dad does a lot of business in los angeles and he always loves to hang out with us so he crashed there with us too and so we just had like four dudes in a house one of them being my father but it was john lennon's like tree house that he had a super informative time of his life in and the other cool thing is that it wasn't just john lennon like stevie nicks would party there and um one of the guys from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young lived there for a little while. So all these people had lived there, and there was all this history in this house. And we had this sweeping view of downtown Los Angeles from one of the many patios, and it had this old smell. <laughs> I mean, my room was this office uh, with a little twin-size bed, and there were windows below the bed, and I just looked down a hill into this valley and then like it swept up into downtown Los Angeles and to be able to fall asleep looking at that every night. Like that's just, if that's not inspiring, you're uninspirable. It was so cool. And so to come there every night, there was a tram only way up, up to the house was a tram and not like a cool 2010 tram, but like a 1940 rusty bucket with a cable that pulled you up the hill. And I don't like heights and it was awful. And we did that every single night, every single morning to get up and down and we just, I don't know the the aesthetic inside it was like all this old Scandinavian vintage furniture so it felt like we were in the 70s while we were making music like we were felt like we were living in Laurel Canyon which has its own history of being like the hippie center of Los Angeles in the 60s and here we are you know doing it in 2018 yeah that that story is like the bucket list of bucket lists of, and you just you're like check we just found it on Airbnb. Yeah. Wow. Wait, you did? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Did you find? Did you know that it was what? Lennon's place? Like, so was that was that the clickbait on Airbnb? It was kind of clickbaited, but then when we booked it, I like asked the guy, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, just talk to the like property manager, the maintenance guy. He'll be around. He has who's been managing this house forever. Yeah. So this the property manager or the maintenance guy that was there, he probably in his seventies or eighties, he knew." all this stuff like he had the stories he he had been there when stevie nicks was throwing a rager on the rooftop of the house like he knew and he remembered all of it like yesterday so he filled us in a little bit um but you could just also see it like the way the house was designed like it still had some touches in it that were from when lennon lived there and that he mm -hmm. had put in so super cool dude that's that's just like cooler than yeah cooler than cool dude. yeah did you write a song about being scared on the on the tram up the hill <laughs> i was gonna think the title of the song rusty bucket Rust. i mean i'll put that in the hopper we'll see what happens yeah um put that in your put that in your memory <laughs> bank put that in your back pocket and get back to me but, I, would, I would love to hear but the song woke up in the hills we we had that chorus and we had the whole idea yeah. and then we got to this house and the morning we had a day off when we first got in the next morning, we, we started our session at like noon. So we had the, this leisurely morning to wake up in this house, make breakfast. And we all woke up and started joking, like screaming off the patio. I woke up in the house. 
and that informed the kind of the tone of the chorus was us waking up in the morning and just being dumb about it and <laughs> screaming it off the balcony and that just continued. being a couple average guys <laughs> just yeah. a couple average guys in an average house you know yeah. and, and it, um but then that song kind of became our anthem for our sessions out there because we were physically waking up in the hills every morning yeah and then going and producing music that was inspired by that it's perfect yeah this that's that's really cool that you were able to experience that with your father too yeah oh he's a, he's a whole part of it you know he's he's like the he's the band dad but not like the lame band dad he's just like the cool band dad that sits off and you know he was making his breakfast and hanging out and Dang. wanted to smoke cigars on the rooftop at the end of it <laughs> oh. yeah right on man wow well Trapping the puck a little bit on Denny and focusing on Alex mm. for a sec here. Mm-hmm. We have core questions that uh, we always ask every guest. Right and the first one is, what's your average quality? And this is a question that we frame in a way, you do something well at times, and other times mm. it's not. Yeah. you're not so well. You don't do it as good. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's your average quality. Average quality. So, Alex, what is your average quality? My average quality, and I'm hyper-focused, and then there are other times where I feel uninspired or something. I don't know what it is that causes the the opposite end of that but i'm completely unhinged and can't focus on a single thing and i can it happens all the time where i kind of go back and forth between being like super inspired and hyper focused and ready to go and then switch flicks and i'm not and i can't process a conscious thought (laughs) that's an extreme but you get the idea it's 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 something that like you know at times i'm super great at it at times i'm you know, I'm your guy. I'm your focused guy who can get it done. Yeah. But then other times I'm just like, oh, I can't, I can't think. I don't want to do this. This isn't worth it. Mm-hmm. And it's creatively, when it happens in a creative setting, it spirals into like, what's the point? Yeah. Which is the least inspiring Ooh. thing for productivity. Right. Yeah. I always, uh, I get that way too, where it's, it's kind of like a sine wave. It comes, yeah. it comes and goes. And yeah. I think those, those like valleys, those, those low points where you're just scattered you have a thousand ideas really reward you for those times where you're on it yeah um because i feel like a lot of the times for me when i'm in those valleys and i have all those thoughts if i, if I could just find one that i really liked right. the next Last day when i wake up yeah it's like that one could carries in and then maybe yeah. builds and builds and builds and builds yeah. into that next one yeah. that next thing and i i a long time ago made the horrible decision to realize that i work really well under pressure mm and so spent a lot of time thinking, oh, yeah, no, I can leave these things. I can I can put stuff off. I can procrastinate because I'm going to do great work when it all piles up and I can't breathe. It doesn't it doesn't work like that. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It never does. <laughs> never does. I don't know if that's healthy, but I, I'm not going to go on the record by saying that that's not healthy because I don't know. Yeah. We all convinced ourselves that in the college years when we were like, all right, well, I'll just have the free time of my mm, life for mm-hmm. the first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and mm-hmm. then the test is on Thursday. I'm well, a crammer. I'm a cram- yeah, yeah I was cram a it. College, I mean, yeah. that's how I got through college. Yeah, was that's how it, we all do. Yeah. Yesing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that, it starts. Like, I'm great under pressure. <laughs> yeah. Give me anything, and <laughs> I'll wait till the going. last minute, and I'll get it done with an A. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the lessons we learned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then another question to build off that is something that's in your back pocket. Now, this is more of a – it's a positive. It's, a, it's something that you hold in your back pocket when – um, pressure becomes, hmm. um, stress mm-hmm. and, you know, anxiety is rising. Yeah. Um, and this is what you use to overcome these situations. So I thought about this one a little bit today. Uh, and what I kind of came up with was like compassion. It's something that guides almost, well, pretty much everything I do. I want to, at all points, put on the hat of compassion and see, in situations, no matter what they are, where other people are coming from, um, and 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 that, like when stress hits, you know, if if someone's on me about something, or someone's, or I'm in a situation that is high pressure, like being able to take a step back, and first, it allows being compassionate, I guess, allows you to kind of see, like, okay, does this does this really matter in the grand scheme? Like, do I really need to be freaking out about it or I do I really need to be taking pressure and turning into stress um but also you know it provides like an empathetic note with the people you're either working with or that you're involved in a situation with to you know understand where someone's coming from is like the most powerful 
interpersonal like mean of communication. I think that exists just to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. I think it takes the pressure off of me when I'm when I do that because it takes pressure off of you know I don't know. This is gonna sound really stupid, but it takes the pressure off of feeling the pressure because it's like you know whatever you're. I'm I'm, I'm blanking right now. Well, I think what you're saying is you're you're, you're being selfless and sure when you sure when you and or you're and you're feeling for that other person. That's what compassion means. But like say right. Andrew's going through a tough time, you're feeling for him. You're you're like oh man, he's, this is tough. Like I I don't want that to happen, but. Showing that yeah. you're there for him, showing that you're trying to relate to him, right. trying to make him feel better, makes you feel better because right. of that direct right relationship. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, in our world today where we are hyper-connected but incredibly disconnected, yes, a lot of people don't prioritize, like, understanding where the people are coming from. Because everyone's always, like, either trying to sell something or, like, promote their brand or whatever it is. And... I like constantly crave like that deep human connection. And I don't think that can be created if you're not seeking to, if you're not trying to be compassionate, understand other people, I don't think that can happen. And I also don't think there's anything as rewarding, like in interpersonal relationships other than if, or I don't think there's anything as rewarding as like real deep human connection. Yeah. I always feel like for me, I, I, I kind of struggle with, compassion sometimes because i don't know if i have the right to say like i know how you're feeling Hmm. like what they're going through is so external from my own experience right right? and i who am i to say it's okay right and i might have said you know that kind of stuff i I don't see it as much like that as like trying to understand them or understand someone else's you know situation or perspective as much as just listening Mm. which i think is a lost art form and I'm always told like I don't speak up enough or I don't say enough, but I'm like that's because I my my whole life has been defined by always being the quiet guy. But it's because I my dad at one point said something. I'm gonna botch the what he actually said, but it was along the lines of like the wisest person in the room is usually the one who says the least because they're like absorbing and listening and trying to understand other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way my brain ticks is listen first and speak second. And I mean work and music just letting someone else talk and hearing what they're not not just like hearing what they're saying but actually engaging with what they're saying and and remembering it and listening to it is you know it's informative both and in, informs what i do because i can you learn a lot from people just by talking to them yeah. and just by listening and not you know trying to talk over them or have your own agenda or try to promote yourself but just and it's also just you know enjoying other people's individual brains and getting to know like the way they tick is super rewarding and fascinating to me. So right on. It's like uh Nasser said, hear, hear people or look at people for who they are, not what they are. Hear people for who they are, not what they yeah. are. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was amazing. Yeah. That spoke volumes to me as well. That was awesome. Uh, but trapping the puck and concluding with our three final questions. Sure, man. Let's do it. Sweet. The uh, first one is we love challenging ourselves. And someone inside the music industry, some something that we are not necessarily familiar with all too much. Dude, with, don't, don't even go with the Twin Cities like, music uh, industry. Yeah. Music okay. industry, sure. Yeah, I want because that's that's kind Anybody? of more so where I want to target. But you could take anywhere. You could take the challenge anywhere you want. Um, now that you've been through this whole podcast, yeah, who, who do, you, do you think would be the yeah. best person that you want on the show? How big are we? Talking? Can I go, like, dude? Go, go as anywhere? big as you want. It's not it's not musical, but it and it's kind of controversial, but it's also. I think it would be fascinating to have a conversation with this guy is Al Franken. Mm, wow. That would be hard. Yeah. Yeah. All right. He's ch- it's been challenged. It's been challenged. Said, Patrick, write that down. Thank you so much. And also thank you PI for stepping in and producing today. Yeah, really dude. do appreciate it. Of course. Really yeah. cool story, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Really mm-hmm. cool story. Good to meet you. Um, sweet. Al Franken. Al wow. Franken. Throw that that came out the I mean, hey, love it. I didn't do music and yeah. you know, he's a big name, but. You, well, for Andrews, you did it though yeah. you did but a, it. a lot to unpack there yes 100 percent, and probably in a very interesting life story mm-hmm. but but for andrew's sake who, who who else would you want to see that's like what music in the music industry in the, music in the industry, twin cities in the twin cities, twin cities? Yep. that's what you're looking for yeah because i, I want to get more into that rabbit yeah. hole and yeah. I, so i'm just I. so unfamiliar so there's this with it amazing 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 local producer named lance conrad who mm. worked with denny a bunch uh one of our songs love somebody with a face like you mm-hmm. on spotify 
plug there. Um, he produced that track. Uh, he's a genius. Uh, he DJed my wedding. He's like brilliant i can't describe him enough and he also is just one of the sweetest kindest most generous human beings ever so and he's more on the producer side yeah producer writer sweet yeah we haven't had anyone on like that so there you go lance conrad lance conrad all right so i mean long-term girl al franken al franken (laughs) i thought i'd throw it out there did you know you said a challenge let's do it no yeah that's that's a challenge that's an awesome i loved it (laughs) (laughs) good stuff all right and then um the next question is putting the ball in your court We've hammered you with questions now for 50-so minutes. We were curious if you have any questions for us. I don't have any specific questions, but I think it's really cool that you guys are just, like, talking to people, just having a conversation, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. Which, like, I don't know of a lot of podcasts that are just sort of conversation-based without, you know, some other... But just, like, having a chat mm-hmm. is super cool. Yeah. It's, it's evolved to that. Originally, yeah. it was the interview because we had a questions list and we had our phones yeah. out in front of us and yeah. we'd like you, you, we'd hear this you felt stop so talking. So natural, and we just we, yeah. yeah, we bagged that maybe a year and a half ago, and we just yeah. like we send you the questions to give you a feel of, like who we are, yeah. but we don't I use just, yeah. like just keep doing that because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, I'm like just having a, like one of some of my favorite memories are just hanging out with like guys in college and just talking till four a.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what this felt like. Sweet, dude, yeah. and I love that you brought that up. And I, that's why I am so passionate about the podcast mm. medium because of what we're kind of trying to use for it. Yeah. We've had people. I mean, one of one of the biggest feedback things that we've gotten in the past is like, you guys need to be like, you guys need to niche down to like one thing, like only interview entrepreneurs or only interview this. Like, you guys do this popcorn effect where you're getting on guy from Denny and then. The week before, right. it was a sales at sales head of Aon or something. Yeah. Like it's all over the place. But I think our niche is, you know, having conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And I always ask this question: like, when was the last time you had an undistracted conversation for an hour? I look forward to this shit every day. Yeah, and I don't even know who you are. And yeah. I'm just like, I'm excited to understand mm-hmm. you. And there's like intentionality in that that mm-hmm. doesn't exist in most of the world. You know, mm-hmm. people aren't necessarily just seeking people out to chat with them. Yeah. Which but, is how you learn so much. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, we we read books and we, you know, we're, we we say we're Learned educated men. guys. Yeah. We're educated guys, <laughs> but like the way we really learn and, and honestly shape our lives at this point when we're just kind of these hazy 23-year-olds right. are literally through these conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's why I go back and listen to them because it's like, oh, there's some advice there or there's that story that I'll always remember in my back pocket that now I can use totally to put myself in a better situation. That's really cool. I'm so glad we were able to have you on. I'm really happy to be here. I mean, this was the thing that was able to get me to meet you for the first time was having Giselle come into this room and she met me in June of 2018 and then snowball effect. I was able to meet you. So cool. So cool. Um, But that's like the, that's the root of the challenge, right? Like we're going to, continue to find the next people that like that are all all connected in some way and i think that's like a really cool thing that you know we could i mean we do reach out and try and cast a wide net but the the best podcasts are the ones that are recommended to us yeah and Mm -hmm. those are the ones that grow the most as well relationship wise yeah Mm -hmm. super cool all right one last question a simple question what did you learn today from the moment that you woke up to when we're having this conversation oh wow from when i woke up um well, I think one of them is that that my my average quality is focus. Mm. I had to pull some people on that one, good, because I was like, I don't I don't know how to answer that, and then that came back. I was mm. like, whoa, and then it was explained to me more because when you when you seek out you know external opinions on your personality, it's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. And um, when that came back from multiple angles, I was like, well, wait, are you being a dick? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess. And then and then I thought about it more, and then I definitely like saw it sure. in in me. I even saw it today mm-hmm. in awesome. what I was doing. So yeah. I'm glad we brought that out of you. It's yeah. funny. Uh, we had this kid Tommy Lakin on, and he did the same thing where he like pulled a bunch of his friends, <laughs> and everyone were like, "Dude, you were an average goaltender in high school." And he was like, "What? Who was, was like, your starting goaltender? Come on! Like I felt I was pretty good at goaltending." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's dude, that's good. nuts! Though I'm glad we brought that out of you, though. Yeah, Seriously, it's cool. Mm-hmm. Crushing it, man. Yeah. Well, Alex, that's uh, that's a wrap. Thank you, guys.